Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Brian Dumain will join us to discuss Basonomics. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, Amazon, it's almost taken over our entire lives, but what can we learn from this business? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Brian Dumain. Mr. Dumain is an award winning journalist and a contributing editor at Fortune magazine. His works include The Plot to Save the Planet and Go Long Why Long Term Thinking is Your Best Short Term Strategy. He has penned the new book, Basonomics How Amazon is Changing Our Lives and What the World's Best Companies Are Learning from It. And Mr. Dumain, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Charles. Certainly our pleasure, certainly a timely book, Basonomics. I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. Well, Charles, I've been a longtime business journalist, and in my career, I've never really seen a company like Amazon. And why I say that is that Amazon has taken the lead in terms of digitizing the world. I mean, they are the best company I've ever seen at integrating big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning into their day-to-day businesses. And the result of that is they've created a new model for how companies in the future will need to do business. And at the same time, they've really radically changed our habits as citizens, you know, how we shop, how we get our information. And I just thought a book on that topic that tries to explain where Amazon came from and where it's going in the future would be very useful to the general reading public. Wouldn't be what the company is without Bezos. So what do we know about the richest man in the world? Well, Jeff Bezos is someone who from early on in his career was obsessed with the internet. Uh, He started his company in 1995 by selling books online. And the reason he did that was he was working on Wall Street as a young man. He had a very promising career. And he noticed one day that this thing called the web was growing at 2,300% a year. And he said that he had never seen anything grow that fast. And he knew at that point that he had to somehow start a business based on the web. So he told his bosses that he's going to leave in New York and go out to Seattle and start an online book company. Uh, His his boss at the time told him that might be a good idea for someone else, but not for him who had such a promising career in front of him. But Bezos nonetheless said, I've got to do this. He has a no regret philosophy of life. He says, when you're 80 years old, you don't want to look back and regret having done something. And he told his boss he was leaving. And before he left, he offered uh, to his boss a a proposition. He said, you know, would you like to invest a million dollars in my new company? And the boss said, no, thanks. Uh, You might imagine what that stake would be worth today. Anyway, he went out to Seattle. He drove across country with his wife, and they started in a garage. 
uh, and they started selling books online. And even in those early days, Bezos was applying machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, to his website. And you have to remember that he was, yes, selling books, but his intention was not to sell books. His intention was to build the, the best website he could, and then later he could expand from books. Books were just convenient from the beginning. In other words, uh, you know, books are generally of a similar size, so they're easy to store and ship. Uh, people know what's in them from reading book reviews. And unlike groceries, they don't spoil on the shelf. So he chose books. And those early days, uh, you could go on the Amazon website and the algorithms would make recommendations based on people who read the same book that you read, but they read other books that you might like as well. And they would also alert you automatically by this thing called email. I mean, it's still pretty new back then in 1995, if your favorite author was coming out with a new book. So even from those early days, he was digitizing business. And Amazon from there grew dramatically. And today it, it offers more than 600 million different products on its site by one estimate. And uh, last year they did $280 billion in sales. A lot of that growth is due, of course, to Jeff Bezos' skill in taking uh, digital uh, mechanisms, digital tools, and applying them to real-world businesses. In a sense, really ahead of his time in this regard, a lot of people just didn't get it. Right, yes. The, you know, people underestimated Bezos throughout his career. And I mean, at one point, you know, in the dot-com bubble, he almost went bankrupt. He, his stock had gone, this is 2001, had gone from $107 a share to $6 a share. Barron's Magazine did a, a story on him called Amazon.bomb. And one Wall Street analyst predicted that by the end of 2001, they would uh, run out of money. But what Bezos did back then, and this is an important part of my book, Bezonomics, in explaining how Amazon is so successful, he created something called the flywheel, which is basically a virtual cycle. And the flywheel, briefly, you know, always starts with the customer. That's Jeff Bezos' mantra. You know, we do everything for the customer. And if you do everything for the customer, you start to attract more customers. If you attract more customers, you attract more merchants to sell on your site which drives up your revenues, gives you economies of scale, and you use those economies of scale, use the money that that generates to make your customer's life better and offer them faster deliveries and more services or like Amazon Prime, and that attracts more customers, that attracts more sellers, gives you economies of scale, and that cycle keeps going around and around and around. And other companies have used flywheels in the past, but What's made Bezos stand out over the last decade and has really supercharged Amazon's growth is now he's applied artificial intelligence to his flywheel in a way that I haven't really seen in other businesses. So an example is that you know, with all those products that Amazon offers, the 600 million I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of the decisions used to be made by executives of the company. It's like how many of which items do we order, what size, what color, which warehouses do we ship them to. Increasingly, all those decisions that used to be made by human beings are now being made by algorithms. And the machines keep getting smarter on their own. 
they, you know, if they make a mistake on an order or the size of an item or whatever, the color of an item, they learn that and they get smarter and smarter and smarter. And Bezos's flywheel keeps moving faster and faster and faster. And I think that goes a long way to explaining why a Bezos is the richest man in the world, and b Amazon to a large extent, was able to handle the surge in orders during this recent pandemic. I mean, the first quarter alone, their sales level rose by $75 billion. And that's an incredible increase for any business to handle. But because the company is so automated, so driven by all these smart algorithms making decisions by the second, uh, Amazon was able to respond uh, it, to much of that demand. Now, granted, their you know delivery time slowed down before the pandemic. Uh, One-day delivery for Prime members was becoming pretty much the norm, and after the pandemic, for various reasons, uh, that slowed down for essential items, especially to as long as four days, and for non-essential items, even longer. But the company is trying to adjust to that situation, and they uh, have invested $4 billion uh, in the, the second quarter that we're in right now in order to try to make their warehouses and delivery systems safer for their employees, while at the same time uh, speeding up delivery to get it back uh, closer to normal. Amazon is, is so ubiquitous in so many areas now. One wonders if any other entity can match them in terms of the amount of data they're able to harness and the AI computations that now they can utilize based on that data. Ongoing additive process with their flywheel. I mean, can anyone ever reach that same level? That's a great question, Charles. And I have a chapter in my book, Basonomics, where I talk about Walmart. Uh, now, Walmart's still the biggest company in America. This year, Amazon become the, became the second largest company in America with $280 billion in sales. But Walmart grew up as a traditional retailer, and Amazon grew up as a tech platform. Now, what's happening in, in the retail world, especially in the United States, is something I call in my book, Basonomics, hybrid retailing. And what that means is customers want to be able to get their products uh, in many different ways. If you know, they can stay at home and order them, get them delivered, uh, or they can or order them online and swing by the store on their way home from the office and have someone put their groceries in the trunk of their car, or they can go into a, uh, an old-fashioned brick-and-mortar store and buy the items themselves. And this is where the retail world is headed, and Walmart and Amazon are competing in this arena, and they're coming from different angles. It's quite fascinating. I mean, Walmart's really good at brick-and-mortar retailing, but they're late to the game on technology. So they're trying to beef up their technology to match Amazon. Now, Amazon has a far, far lead in technology, but it's, it's lagging Walmart in terms of their brick-and-mortar presence. In 2017, Amazon uh, bought Whole Foods grocery chain for, uh, I believe, it was $17 billion. And they're starting their own lower-cost grocery chain. They've opened up a store in, in California. And Amazon wants to be able to have that brick-and-mortar presence as well. So they're coming at it from a, uh, as a 
from a they're a tech platform moving towards brick and mortar, and Walmart is a brick and mortar store trying to build a tech platform, and it's going to be a fascinating fascinating competition to watch. So much of the way it operates is driven by data AI. It's been criticized that this leads to a loss of the human capital, where efficiency is valued more than working conditions of people that are on the ground. Right. Uh, Amazon has certainly come under a lot of criticism uh, in the last few years, both from politicians and from labor unions and from some of their employees themselves on the working conditions in their warehouses. And I visited uh, one of their warehouses while doing my research for my book, Basonomics. And, you know, like any warehouse, they're very tough places to work. They're long hours. uh, The work can be monotonous. Uh, it's physically taxing and psychologically taxing because of the repetition. I think Amazon realizes this, and they've been trying to automate their warehouses more and more. And the last piece of automation for their warehouses is uh, something called picking and stowing, where items get stowed in these bins when they arrive at the warehouse, and then workers pick them out of those bins and stow them in another bin before they're ready to be shipped out. And that's really the last major step in Amazon's warehouse system that's done by human beings. And where the future's going is toward fully automated warehouses. Uh, There's a warehouse in China run by an online retailer called JD.com, and they ship out 200,000 packages a day and they have four employees in the entire warehouse, and they're, they're mostly to make sure the robots are working correctly. Now, Amazon can't do that because they deal with so many more products and a different variety of shapes and sizes and materials in the packaging, and robots aren't quite smart enough now to pick out the right ones out, out of a bin of you know, many diverse packages, but that's coming soon. And, you know, what I point out in my book is, yes, warehouse work is really difficult. It's, Amazon should do everything it can to try to make conditions better for their workers. But the real issue going forward is that, you know, the hundreds of thousands of workers at Amazon who work in their warehouses within a matter of years, I believe, are going to be out of jobs because of automation. And that's a whole other problem society is going to have to face. And it's another one of those implications of Amazon on society. It was one of the reasons I, I decided to write about them in, in this book. I mean, they're going to have a, a, a tremendous impact on our employment situation. And that's something as a society, we're going to have to sit down and uh, figure out some solutions to. Certainly not just Amazon, but I mean, the book talks about how it's influencing other companies. Increasing automation is going to have that trickle-down effect on all businesses that employ their methods. That's, that's right, Charles. I cite a McKinsey study in my book, which predicts in the worst-case scenario that by the year 2030, automation could displace as much as 30% of the entire global workforce. I mean that you know that would that dwarfs the unemployment numbers we've seen uh, from the pandemic. So it's another big challenge we're going to have to face looking forward. So the book is subtitled "The Best Companies Are Learning from Basonomics." Well, the main thing companies are learning and need to learn is that you have to have big data and artificial intelligence completely integrated into your DNA 
it's, it's not enough to hire, you know, a few data scientists and hope that they can apply some intelligence or algorithmic skills to your traditional business process. Your business has to be designed from the ground up uh, as a uh, data-driven uh, business. And I mean, just to give you an example, uh, for one product alone at Amazon, Alexa, which is their, you know, their smart speaker, their voice recognition software that you know, answers our questions, allows us to order things on Amazon, plays our music for us in our homes, runs our security systems. Amazon has 10,000 employees working just on Alexa. I mean, that, that's how deeply they integrate uh, uh, digital uh, into their processes. So that's for companies, big companies competing directly with Amazon. Now, there are a lot of small companies in the retail sector that I write about in my book, Basinomics, that have figured out how to get around uh, Amazon, sort of outflank them. Uh, you know, a, a great example is, is Warby Parker, which sells eyeglasses. And um, what they have done is they've taken a social mission and they've used it as sort of the core strategy for their business. Now, Amazon is not known for doing a lot of social good, although, you know, Bezos has been pivoting on that recently. And, you know, he's donating more money to climate change. He's, he's put in some pretty strict uh, goals for Amazon on, on carbon and greenhouse gases. But what Warby Parker has done is they say that for every, every pair of glasses you buy from them, uh, they'll give away a pair free to someone in the developing world who can't afford to buy a pair of glasses. And this does two things. Um, one, it makes you feel really good if you're buying a pair of glasses from Warby Parker. It's like, oh, I'm buying this pair of glasses. And when I do, someone in the developing world will get a pair of glasses and that might allow them to get a job or go to school or learn to read or whatever. So it's, it's, it's a feel good strategy. And the other thing it does is it gets Warby Parker employees totally pumped up because they feel they're working for a good cause. And anyone at Warby Parker who's been there three years or longer is given a free trip down to Central America to see some of the programs that have been set up where these people do receive free eyeglasses and it gets the employees very excited about working at Warby Parker. And you can tell when you call up and, you, you, and you, the level of customer service is very high. Uh, so that's, that's a way one company has sort of circumvented the Amazon behemoth and has become very successful. Um, another way is to have products that Amazon doesn't offer. Amazon is pretty much great at taking a commodity product and selling them to you at a very low price and getting them to you quickly. And that's sort of their secret sauce. Um, when I was doing my uh, research for my book, uh, Basinomics, I typed in the words uh, pots and pans on Amazon. And, you know, obviously a, a bunch of different selections came up, but one was uh, a collection of pots and pans called Vremi, and you had 15 different pots and pans for $49, and they got 25 positive, positive reviews. People seemed very pleased with it. That's great. Then I went to Williams-Sonoma, 
and I typed in pots and pans. And on the first page, among the other items, came a a cooking pot that was uh, made by a Parisian company that was founded in 1820 and cost $800. I mean, you're not likely to find that on Amazon. You know, it's, it's a curated selection, and companies like Williams Sonoma, they're able to uh, offer customers sort of a special line of products, uh, something that's been thought through, something that's a little more high end than you would find on Amazon can survive as well. And William Sonoma has been doing uh, just great over the last few years. So there are ways to circumvent uh, Amazon. What do you think the future is going to look like with Amazon and its competitors? Well, we're going to see this hybrid retailing. So we're going to see Amazon playing a much bigger role in brick-and-mortar retailing, which is kind of counterintuitive, but it's the way they're headed. And then you're just going to see Amazon migrate into many other different businesses besides retailing. Um, There might go into medicine. They've been making a lot of investments along those lines. Uh, you know, Alexa could be the hub for a telemedicine service, which they're already offering to their employees in Seattle. And it wouldn't be hard to imagine them uh, spinning that off to the general public and creating a big telemedicine business out of it. Uh, finance, uh, they just partnered up with Goldman Sachs to offer business loans to the third-party sellers who sell goods on Amazon.com. And they already have the credit card numbers of hundreds of millions of their customers. So you can imagine them uh, taking that and leveraging it into a you know financial powerhouse. They're already one of the biggest uh, media companies uh, in the world. Uh, they spend billions every year uh, on, on movies and TVs for prime video which is you know, one of the benefits you get when you uh, sign up for a Prime account. Uh, they're making uh, consumer electronics gadgets. Uh, you know, Alexa has the Echo, uh, but they also have home security uh, products. They have uh, um, music products like smart speakers, that sort of thing, and they're becoming a leading player in, in that as well. Um, their advertising business, online advertising business, is ramping up. Over the last few years, it's gone from almost nothing up to about $10 billion a year. And, you know, they're still dwarfed by Facebook and Google, but you can see them start to nip on their heels. So I think the future is an Amazon that's using this digital savvy they've developed over the last two and a half decades to enter different businesses and apply that same kind of digital smarts to it and to expand in a way we really haven't seen in the past. Well, we were just talking with Mr. Brian Dumaine. He's the author of the new book, Basinomics, How Amazon is Changing Our Lives and What the World's Best Companies Are Learning From It. Mr. Dumaine, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. <laughs>